Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Todd Curtis. What follows is an interview I had on the 17th of October, 2014, with Charles Adler of radio station CJOB of Winnipeg, Canada. We discussed a number of very quickly evolving issues around air travel and Ebola, especially the case of the nurse who had been exposed to Ebola, who had taken an airplane flight, and possibly may have exposed over 100 people on that flight. We also discussed the difference between risk and safety, and how the public's perception and acceptability of risk feeds into their perception of how dangerous the Ebola threat is. Todd Curtis is uh, joining us uh, from the AirSafe Foundation. Uh, he has uh, worked for Boeing. He has worked for the U.S. Air Force. And he's been working his uh, tailbone off on, on many, many mysteries. And now uh, the mystery of the nexus between aviation and Ebola. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you once again for having me. Now, Todd, I had an emergency room doc on earlier who's also a media commentator. Uh, he works in one of the busiest emerges in the world in uh, Toronto. And I asked him this question. I'm going to uh, b- bounce it off you. You tell me what, what you think. Uh, I said to him, look, many South American countries, Colombia and others, have decided not to allow anyone into their country if they believe that person has been in West Africa recently. And I said to the doctor, I said, putting aside politeness and political correctness and all those things, is it rational? I just want to, I want you to focus, Doc. Is it a rational decision that they're making? And he paused and he said, well, you know, and he sort of buttressed it with, you know, the niceties, uh, that that's not where he would want our country to go or your country. But in the end, he said, yes, he says, I, I can't tell you that it's not. It, it, is, it is a rational decision. And then he said, it's more rational than our approach in terms of the security that we're doing and not doing. And that would include the U.S. and Canada. So I just, Todd, uh, your take on what this emergency room doctor had to say. Well, there are several issues here, rationality being one of them. And one has to balance that against a certain reality. Uh, simply put, the U.S. and Canada together account for about 60% of all airline traffic in the entire world. So any decision made by either one of those two countries will have a major impact on how the rest of the world operates. Now, on the practical side of things, sure, um, one way to deal with risk is to eliminate any possibility of that risk uh, coming to your shores. And that would mean banning travel by anyone who is from any of those countries. But let's extend this a little bit. You would also have to ban anyone who's been exposed to anyone from those countries. So you can just imagine, you have one person who may or may not be infected with Ebola, but who's from one of those countries, flying a jet to Amsterdam or to Paris or to London, and they get on another jet to come to the U.S. or Canada. Suddenly, it's not just that one person. There might be 500 other people who could be at low risk of Ebola. Are you going to ban those 500 as well? And this can cascade very quickly to the point that, well, if you want to eliminate risk, you may have to ban a large fraction of all air travelers from this point onward. The Dallas nurse now being treated in Atlanta, uh, she was, she says, given the green light by CDC to be on a cruise. That uh, liner is uh, was on its way to Belize. Belize found out about it. Belize says, uh, you're not you're not stopping here. Our port is not open to you. Well, therein is another problem that comes up. When it comes to managing risk, one of the ways to manage risk is to make risk-based decisions. And with respect to the nurse who flew to Cleveland and round trip back to Dallas, uh, before her return trip, she called the CDC, said, hey, I'm one of these health workers who is uh, dealing with the patient. I have a slightly elevated temperature. Should I get on the flight? 
And at the time, the CDC's um, regulations or, or guidelines were that if the temperature were above a certain level, that person shouldn't fly. Well, at the time, that temperature was below that certain level. CDC gave her the okay. Now, in retrospect, they said that was an incorrect decision. But in a sense, the cat's already out of the bag. You have someone who was exposed to Ebola, who, as it turns out, was infected with Ebola, who was on an aircraft with over 100 people on board. But Todd, I don't know, and I'm not trying to pretend I have, you know, the kinds of degrees that the CDC people have, and I happen to know a lot about the CDC because I've done medical documentaries, and it's just a, a wealth of information, and I, I respect the hell out of them. They're the, the, the gold standard. I, I give you that, but I don't understand when it comes to Ebola, if a person has obviously been in contact with a patient and she's got a temperature, I don't know why anyone... Uh, would give her the green light. We know the temperatures fluctuate. We don't have to have PhDs in medicine to know that. Well, again, I'm not a medical professional, but I'm going to try and put myself in the shoes of a medical professional and compare that to my experience in aviation. In aviation, uh, especially as an aviation safety person like myself, I know there's risk in almost anything that happens in aviation. And one has to prudently look at those risks and say to oneself, okay, do we have protective measures, procedures, etc. in place? Is there a standard by which we're meeting or exceeding? If so, we'll proceed with this mission or this flight. And in a sense, the CDC was at first using the same sort of mentality, which I totally support. That is, yes, these people have been exposed to Ebola, but unless there's something that says that they are at risk of passing on to someone else, specifically if they're vomiting, diarrhea, etc., where you would have large amounts of virus uh, in a place where anyone else can be exposed. If that's not happening, then perhaps these medical professionals can fly on planes, treat other patients, etc. Now, that was a pure risk-based decision, but of course, things have spun a bit out of control since then. You now have a public concern, which is a safety concern, which is different from a risk concern. A safety concern is the acceptance of a level of risk. What was acceptable risk five or six days ago is no longer acceptable. And the CDC has to adjust to that new reality very, very quickly. Well, the doctor was saying that based on the amount of virus we'll have and based on the amount of symptoms and deaths, based on what is likely to happen in West Africa, he felt it was impossible uh, to give any kind of certainty that we wouldn't have plenty of Ebola in your country and mine, simply because of the amount of people we have here uh, who are from Africa, who have relatives and friends and who are going back and forth. So he just thought the probability of, of us avoiding calamity was zero. And that's why I asked him what the South Americans are doing with respect to, to air travel and not allowing anyone in if they think that they've uh, spent time recently in West Africa. Uh, when I said to him, so in that case, uh, three months from now, when we're much closer to the height of flu season, uh, it's entirely possible that Canada will have uh, exactly the same standards and, and do what the South Americans are doing and not allow people in who've been to West Africa. And uh, he said, yeah, that, that could very well be. I hope it doesn't get to that. I hope it doesn't get to that either. But I think there's also some uh, cause for hope as well as cause for concern. Uh, let's take the example of Nigeria, which had a person who was infected with Ebola flying to their country. Several other people were infected uh, because of that person being there. But Nigeria took some very prudent, very quick steps to deal with it and to limit the, the damage. And they're on the verge of being declared Ebola-free because they took action. They limited uh, exposure of people who had been exposed to Ebola, treated those who came down with the disease. 
And now they're getting past that stage. Now, the U.S. and Canada, with a much, uh, with a very significant overseas population from that part of the world, might not have a, as easy a time as Nigeria in dealing with this. But again, this is something that can be dealt with, and it has been dealt with. I, I, I don't doubt that there are many rational ways to go to minimize risk, and, and we're doing many of those. I don't doubt that at all, Todd. And I'm not trying to be alarmist. It's just I can't help but feel whether I'm having a conversation with you, conversation with a doctor, many other conversations I have off the air. Everybody at some point says, but we've also got to be lucky. And, and that's, that's, that, that's the part of this conversation that, that galls me, because at some point luck runs out. Uh, certainly it does, and one can have more luck if one sets things up so that luck is more likely to come your way. For example, if you see a reasonable thing that can be done to eliminate or reduce a risk or reduce the impact of a risk, and you don't take steps to embrace that, then you'll have less, less uh, opportunity for luck. And this is not just at a high level, at the CDC level or the government level. This is at the individual level. For example, if you think even remotely that you might have been exposed, even if it might be inconvenient for you to uh, quarantine yourself and to follow the guidelines of the CDC and the WHO, if you don't do that prudent step, you could be putting others at risk. So again, there's a lot of actions that have to be taken at a high level and at an individual level. And perhaps if uh, the vast majority of people do the right thing, luck will come our way. Let me just ask you the one final question about uh, ethics here. If we don't do what the South Americans do, that is, uh, ban air travel in our countries, uh, ban those people coming in who've been to West Africa, if we don't do the, what I'll call the South American scenario, is it because we don't want to affect the airline business and all the related businesses and perhaps affect the stock market? In other words, are we doing it for safety reasons? Are we doing this for safety reasons, not doing the South American scenario? Or are we doing it purely for economic reasons? Well, in my opinion, there'll be a little bit of both. There's obviously going to be an economic impact if you severely, severely curtail air transportation. But it could be another reason, a reality-based reason. That is, if you do something now, the horse may have already left the barn. It may be too little too late in that you may already have not just one or two, but dozens of people who are infected with Ebola, who are in South America and North America and elsewhere. And perhaps the only way to know if that's the case is to wait three weeks until the disease manifests itself, or not, as the case may be. Todd Curtis of the AirSafe Foundation. You can log on to airsafe.org and find him. Todd Curtis is based in Massachusetts. Todd, thank you so much. Well, thank you again for having me. Todd Curtis. For more information about Ebola and airline travel, please visit ebola.airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.